how many of you felt like that before? Isn't that great? I think I saw the lady riding the bike on Pope Avenue this summer at some point in time, seriously. Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. My name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. So glad that you um, are here today um, in worship with us. Uh, I want to uh, give a special welcome for those of you who are joining us uh, online on our podcast, and we're so glad that you are listening as well. When you walked in today, you received um, some notes and uh, kind of a worship folder there, and it's got the notes for the message on today. I'm going to invite you to follow along. If you're not a paper person, if you like electronics, you can get on your device and go to our website or our app if you're an Apple user, and you can download our app and get the notes there. I just want to encourage you to follow along. How many of you have driven a car that needed an alignment? Raise your hand if you've driven a car. Okay, if you're five years old, put your hand down. Okay, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we've all driven a car that needed an alignment at some point in time in our lives. A few years ago, um, I I had a friend. He looked at my tires, and he's like, what do you do, make left-hand turns all the time? Um, And I went out on to I-95 and drove as straight as I could and took my hands off the wheel for just a second, okay, I'm a good driver, and sure enough, my truck veered over into the left lane. And if I hadn't corrected that in that moment in time, I would have ended up in someone else's car or maybe a ditch over on the left lane. Um, We have driven cars before that need a realignment or need new tires and we have those cars in that kind of condition because of hard driving or seriously making a turn so many times, potholes, tire tread running off, unavoidable obstacles or maybe jumping a curb somewhere, you know, somewhere you've jumped a curb before. I did it at Dunkin' Donuts this morning by accident. I did it at Dunkin' Donuts. I'm sorry if you were in front of me or in back of me. But anyway, um, we, we have wear and tear. And so our cars, because we have wear and tear, when we're driving them, it's very difficult to drive them and keep them in the center of the lane that we're supposed to be in. In fact, they can get so bad that the natural tendency is for them to drift away from where we're supposed to be. I've seen time and time again in my life and in the lives of some of you and people in the church in general where we drift in terms of our relationship with God. And we have to grab onto the wheel and we have to make those quick corrections or else we'll end up in the left lane or the right lane or over here in a ditch or in someone else's car if we don't make corrections in our lives. And just like a car whose alignment is completely out of place, our natural tendency, I want you to hear this this morning, our, just our natural tendency, just the human condition with sin and failure and faults and all the stuff that we, we deal with as humans, our natural condition is that in our lives with God, our spiritual lives, our walks with Him, whatever you want to call that, our natural condition is to drift. It just is. If left to ourselves without any kind of effort on our parts in terms of our spiritual journey, we will drift away from the center of where God desires for us to be. It's the natural human condition. And I have it, and you have it, and even those of you who have been Christ followers for decades have this natural 
human condition where you naturally want to drift off course in terms of your relationship with God. Some of you have experienced this. And in even some cases in your own lives, you've experienced it to such a great degree that you've been in the ditch spiritually. And that's where we find ourselves many times. We find ourselves in the ditch because we find out that we drift in terms of our spiritual condition if we're left alone. I heard one pastor years ago describe it as a spiritual continuum, and, and his was a little more of a dramatic, he wouldn't say we drift, he would say we do things in our lives that are either pointing us towards God or that is pulling us away from God. And he used this concept of a spiritual continuum that I'm either walking in my relationship towards God or I'm doing things that's pulling me away from him. And he would argue, and I would agree, that there's really not much of an, there's not much average in terms of our spiritual lives. There's really not a plateau spiritually. We're either moving towards God or we're moving away from God. In this series called Get a Life, I love that name, by the way. In this series called Get a Life, we are going to consider what it means to have things in our life that will help keep us in the center lane in terms of what God's best is for our lives. We're going to consider and talk about different things that we can do to help us to continue to move forward in our relationship with God rather than just being pulled backwards. And what it's going to take on your part, I want you to hear this, if you're a Christ follower in here, it's going to take some effort on your part. If, if you're someone who is skeptical or maybe you got dragged today here and you really didn't want to be here, um, then my encouragement to you is, is that this applies to you. It's just your first step rather than the second, third, and fourth and continuing steps. But those of you who are Christ followers, it's going to take effort on your part to be that Christ follower that stays in the center lane, God's best for your life. And my caution to you is over these next few weeks, as we talk about some of these things, my caution to you is don't just leave it up to chance. Please don't leave your spiritual lives up to chance. Don't just say or maybe resist the temptation to say, well, it'll just happen. I'll be okay. I mean, God loves me. Yes, he absolutely does. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. We talked about that last week. But it's going to take an intentional effort to put things in our lives that will point us to him. This series, we'll be talking about a few of those things. Specifically, we're going to be focusing and drilling down a little bit more of an emphasis on the community aspect of living the Christian life. Because as we just saw in that video... We are not made to live life alone. And I know that there are some of you that your tendency or maybe your personality or maybe your bad church experience from the past has caused you to kind of want to silo in your own world spiritually. And I want to tell you this morning, and I hope you see over the course of these next few weeks, that becoming a silo, becoming someone who is singularly focused in terms of your relationship with God and not reaching out into community will lead to atrophy in your life. When I was in high school, I was a junior in high school, I broke my arm playing soccer. I wasn't the goalie, and I broke my arm playing a sport that you use your feet with. 
you can tell what kind of soccer player I was. But I broke my arm, and I had to have a little surgery, and then I was in a cast. I was in a cast all told for about five months, and my normally skinny arms were even skinnier when they took that cast off. That's what will happen to us spiritually if we just leave it up to chance. And if we don't engage with other Christ followers and share what God is doing in our lives. So this whole series is focused on some of those things that we can do in our lives that will help us keep on the straight and narrow in terms of our relationship with God. Not behavior, I want you to hear that. Not behavior, but in terms of our relationship with God so that we don't drift and specifically, we're going to be talking about community over these next few weeks. In these next few weeks, you will actually have a chance to get into community. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at uh, some of the different characteristics that kind of defines a fully maturing Christ follower. In the week after that, we're going to describe exactly what that community looked like in the first church and how we can mirror that community here in 2013. And then over the course of these next few weeks, you guys will actually have the opportunity to get involved in a life group or join or even create one of your own so that you can be in community with other Christ followers. I want to start today with a foundational piece. I want to begin with why in the world is it so important for us as fully devoted followers of Christ to be involved in community? Let's begin with answering that question. Now, there are literally dozens of reasons. We could answer this by dozens of different answers, but I want to take a look at very simply three of the most important reasons why we should be in community. Why in the world shouldn't we just live the Christian life by ourselves and let everybody else just figure it out? These are three reasons. It begins, first of all, with the nature of God himself symbolizes the importance of community. The nature of God himself symbolizes the importance of community. Some of you may know this concept, others of you may not, but God, the God that we serve, is actually three in one. And that's very difficult for our finite minds to understand the Trinity of God, three persons in one, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each one of those different persons of the Trinity, of the Godhead, the triune God, if you will, serve a different purpose in our lives on a daily basis. We ought to have a message series on that at some point in time. But God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Difficult for us to understand, but the Bible is very clear on that. It begins right out of the gate speaking of the fact that God is a triune God in Genesis 1.26, we have to look no further than the first book of the Bible. And we're going to look at this verse, a verse that we studied back in the spring. Then God said, let, what's that next word? Us. Make man in, what is that next word? Our image. And after what again? Our likeness. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he said, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over, every, uh, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Our God, the God that we serve, is three in one. Jesus even says this 
in John 10, verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Our God is a triune, three-in-one God. What does that have to do with us being in community? What in the world does that have uh, to, to do with us being in community? Well, first of all, there's community among the Godhead. There's community among the Godhead. And, and God is three in one, meaning there's a relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God, because he is the Trinity, uh, acts in community. But not only that, it's the nature of who God is that ought to drive us, those of you who are Christ followers, to be in community. The very nature of God is not singly focused. It's three in one. It's three in one. And so because God is our Father, because He is a triune God, because He is three in one, we ought to follow in that model. We ought to mirror Him in what we do. Do your kids' parents mirror what you do? Oh, man. Don't they ever. Some of you are like, I have teenagers. They don't want to be anything like I am. But, but we know that our kids mirror who we are. Um, I have a nine-year-old little girl, Sydney, and I have a six-year-old little boy, Sean. And Cynthia very often reminds me how much Sydney, the nine-year-old little girl, looks just like me. Pray for her. I often remind Cynthia how much Sean, the little six-year-old, looks like her. He has all the features of her family, the Hennefields. Sydney has all the features of the Cullens and the Boyds. That's my side of the family. They look just like our parents. I mean, Sean's eyes look just like my father-in-law. Scares me sometimes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was a joke, Dad. Uh, anyway, I'm digging a hole here. Okay, so... There are characteristics of our kids and their physical appearance that mirror who we are. But beyond that, we as parents want our kids to demonstrate or to mirror some of the characteristics or some of the character traits or some of the values that we as a family esteem. I hope and I pray that my daughter and my son grow up to be people who love God and love people. That's a high value in our family. I hope and pray that my, my daughter and my son grow up to be people um, who value excellence. That's a value of our family. I, I hope that my kids grow up to value the, the idea of being involved in community and being involved in church and seeing God do amazing things in the life of a believer. I hope and I pray that my kids grow up valuing, have a high value for family because I want them to mirror who we are as a family unit. God desires, listen to this, God desires for you to mirror who God is. And the very nature of God speaks to community. The very nature of who he is speaks to community. It's the first reason why community is important. But not only should God's character drive us to be involved in community, but secondly, Jesus himself fully embraced being in community while he lived on this earth. Jesus himself fully embraced being in community while he lived on earth. 
Now, I want you to capture this. We uh, here at Hilton Head Island Community Church and we who call ourselves Christ followers, we believe firmly that Jesus Christ was Savior. It's a distinction between us and other religions. It's a distinction of Christianity that we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he died for our sins. That God sent his son, his only son, to die so that we could have a relationship with him. We believe that. And so there are other religions that would not believe that. And they say, well, Jesus was just a good man or he was a good rabbi. He was a good teacher. He was a good leader. We would say yes to all that, but we would also say that he is our savior. But I I get concerned sometimes in the church because I think that we may miss the fact that Jesus was a very good man and we ought to follow his model for living. Jesus was involved in community. Three ways that Jesus embraced community. First and absolutely most importantly, Jesus spent time with God. Jesus, who, by the way, was all God, but he was all man. Again, a very difficult concept for us to logically understand. Even he spent time with God. There were many times throughout Scripture, we're going to take a look at a few, where Jesus was led by God or got away from other humans, other men, so that he could be with God. Even when Jesus was led to the to the desert to be tempted by Satan, he was led by the Spirit. Look at Matthew 4, 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We think of that whole scenario as void of God, but he was being led by God. He sought God out. Jesus sought God out. He was led by the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at this passage in in terms of him longing for his father when he knew he was about ready to be persecuted. Matthew records it in Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. This is in the, in, uh, the night before he was betrayed and crucified. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there. And what? Pray. Sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, we talked about those guys last week in the last uh, message on heaven, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He knew what was coming. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he left them, those three, and he fell on his face. And what did he do? Prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus, in his darkest moment, as he was considering what was about ready to happen, he cried out to the Father. He wanted time with God. He desired and longed time with him. And so he took himself away from human interaction for a moment, for a while, And he talked with God. Look at verse 40. This is where this story gets funny, by the way. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you watching out for me. Look what he says with a hint of sarcasm. He says in verse 40 to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? (laughs) Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you looking out for me, buddy. I'm gone 
I'm praying to God the Father, pouring my heart out to him, and there you are sleeping. Thank you. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, they were tired. He's so leaving them again, he went away, and he what? Prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples, and he said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus had to take himself out of human interaction to engage with God. And we have this viewpoint that Jesus got away in solitude to be away, please capture this, from community. But in reality, he got away from people to be in community with God. How many of you like alone time? Let's be honest. Come on. How many of you like alone time? I, I, I like alone time. <laughs> Your student pastor just said yes. Okay, so anyway, we all enjoy alone time. But the problem is, is that we think of alone time and God time as one and the same. When we are spending time with God the Father, please don't miss this. We are in community at that moment because we're in community with God. When we enter into time with God, we need to switch our thinking to thinking of that as just alone time towards thinking of it as time in community with God the Father. It's okay to have alone time. It's okay to have veg time. But we need to think of our time with God as being in community with him. Here's why. Here's what I want you to get this morning. Here's why. If we don't understand community with God, we will never understand community with other believers. If we don't understand community with God the Father and spending time with Him, then we will never be able to get to the place where we get joy from spending time with other people in Christian community. It's where Jesus started and it's where we should start. If you're struggling, not because of your personality, but maybe just because you don't like to interact with other people, my challenge to you this morning is to get with God alone, just with you and Him, but in community. Think of it as community with God the Father. We should change our thinking from thinking of it as alone time to thinking of it as community with Him. But not only do we see Jesus being in community with God the Father, but we also see that he spent time with a small group of his disciples. He was intentional about this. We see often, this is just one passage, we see often Jesus taking a few of them away. We saw it there at the Garden of Gethsemane. He took Peter and James and John with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. There were times when he spent time with some of his disciples in small group. One of those times is mentioned in Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them high up on a mountain by themselves. This was the moment, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus came in his glorified form and he transfigured himself. 
But it's, the, the point is, is that he often would break away with just of a few of his disciples because Jesus under, understood the power of a small group of people. He understood that to get to know them, he needed to spend time with them. He understood that if they were going to trust him, that he needed to spend time with them. He understood if they were going to be about his work, that they needed to understand time with him. Jesus understands this, and so we should embrace it. Jesus understood the power of small group, and he often would break away to be with a smaller group of his disciples. But thirdly, he also spent time with 12 of his closest disciples. We see this in the last moment of his life, the last moments of his life here on earth when he has the Passover feast with him. The account is in Matthew 26 again. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He is the rabbi, remember? So he was kind of in charge of doing this. Verse 18, he said to them, go into a city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. That's my favorite verse in that whole account. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. Jesus is demonstrating in this moment, in the hours before his death, at a time when they're supposed to be sharing stories about the, how God is their redeemer and the, their deliverer, he's reclining, enjoying their company. Isn't that great? I love that little verse. Now, I realize that in that day and age, they would often eat reclined. That was part of the culture. But I don't know about you, but I get the sense from that verse that Jesus just enjoyed being with these guys. And they weren't the easiest of guys to enjoy being with. He was about ready to experience that over the next few hours. Jesus enjoyed being with the twelve. And so not only should we be involved in community because of God's nature is symbolic and because Jesus embraced it, but lastly, point number three, being in community allows the work God is doing in your life, it allows the work God is doing in your life to help others. In a few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at this passage in depth. It's the passage where we see the first church coming together. The passage where we first see these people who are followers of the way, followers of Jesus, kind of coming together and building community together. But I wanted you to look at this in advance. From Acts 2, 45 through 46, Luke writes this and he says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You see, the very first church understood this concept of not keeping what God did for them to themselves. They understood that the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. They understood that if something happened to them that was good, that God did something for them that was good, that they wanted to share, even if it meant sharing personal possessions. We'll dive more into that in a few weeks. But so often, when God does something in our lives that's remarkable, 
or, or maybe even small, that's significant, we just keep it ourselves, don't we? We don't share it. One of the things Cynthia and I are trying to do in our homes with our kids is we're trying to get them to understand the concept when something good happens to the other one, that that other person needs to celebrate and be excited. That's a hard concept to teach, isn't it, parents? Like, be excited for your brother. He made the soccer team. Be excited for your sister. She's in a ballet. Come on, get excited for him. Like, come on, please. We have a hard time with this. We have a hard time sharing in the joy of other people. Our natural reaction is to just drift away from it. But we learn from the very first church that we need to be actively involved in community with others and sharing our lives with each other. One of the excuses that I most often hear in response to this is this concept. Todd, um, I, I don't really want to be involved in community because I really don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to share. I think when we say that, and that's probably the most common of, of all the excuses we use to not get involved in community other than maybe time. We don't have time. I'll talk about that in a moment. But when we say that, when we say, I don't have anything to give, I don't have anything to share, we do two things. Number one, we sell ourselves short. Because each one of you was created to be in community. And you sell yourself short when you really believe that you have nothing to share. And secondly, you sell God short when you have nothing to share. Or when you say you have nothing to share. Because I guarantee you, if you stop for a moment, and if you're a Christ follower, if you stop for a moment, you will see God's hand in your life. And that's something that is worthy of being shared with other people. The Bible is clear that one of the greatest things that God wants for our lives is to be an authentic community with other people. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone, yet we are some of the loneliest people on earth. George Gallup, who does surveys for the church and surveys in, in general, he does surveys, you've probably seen Gallup polls and that sort of thing. As a result of many different surveys that George Gallup did a few years ago, said that Americans are easily the most lonely people on the face of the earth. It shouldn't be that way, should it? I mean, we wake up and there are people around us. Maybe it's not a family, but you got a roommate or someone who lives near you. You get in your car and what do you see on your way to work every day or on your way to school? Other people sitting in traffic, even here on Hilton Head Island. And we see other people, we're around other people all the time. We get to work or we get to school and we're around people all the time, all day. Some of you in cramped quarters at work, you're like, I would like a few less people in my little uh, cubicle area. And we get to work and, you know, maybe we head home and we've already stopped at Starbucks on the way home and there's a bunch of people in Starbucks and they're talking to each other and there are people all around us and we're irritated because of the line and all that kind of stuff. And we get home and we have dinner and we might have dinner with some family or maybe we go out with some friends. And then we get home and we jump on Facebook and Twitter and we're in community with other people in social media settings. We have no reason to be the loneliest people on the face of the earth, but we are, aren't we? And I would imagine, I would guess, that many of you feel that way today. And my encouragement and my challenge is this. To make a new commitment 
It's the beginning of school. School starts tomorrow. Parents, come on. Yeah. And in three weeks, we'll be like, yeah, I'm ready for him to come home. <laughs> I'm ready for summer to start. Yes, it's busy. Yes, there's a busyness to our lives that keeps us from being involved in community. But my challenge to you today is, is that if you're having a difficult time being in community, regular community, as we'll talk about in the future weeks, with other Christ followers, I want to challenge you this morning to begin by doing what Jesus did, and that is recalibrating your life to spending time in community with God the Father. Put something in place that will help you from not veering off the road because your alignment's off in your spiritual life. And begin, we're going to talk about getting involved in community over these next few weeks, but begin by having a fresh start in terms of your daily communication and interaction with God the Father. Because if you can get your arms and your mind and your souls around that, then maybe, just maybe, you can understand what it means to truly be in vital, authentic community with other Christ followers. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I'm thankful that you didn't create us to be alone. And God, I admit that um, even in my own life that there have been times that I have ignored the fact that you created us for each other. There have been times where we all have gotten our alignment off in terms of what you want for our lives because we didn't have a clear understanding of what authentic community is like. And God, I pray for those who are in here today who are Christ followers. Maybe they've been a Christian for 10 or 20 or 30 years. Or maybe they're one of the dozen or so that just said yes to you over these past few weeks in this room. Wherever they are in their relationship with you, Father God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that we would recalibrate, that we'd recenter our lives and wake up tomorrow morning, go to bed tonight and say, I need to, I want to, I desire to spend time with you. Holy Spirit, give us that desire that can only come from you to be in community with you. I'm just going to pause here for a moment. I'm just going to allow Cynthia to play. And in this moment of quiet in this room, if some of you say, man, it's been this, you know, days, m weeks, months, maybe even years since I've been serious about spending time with God, spending time ta just talking with Him, maybe reading some verses from the Bible or a devotional that I have, it's been so incredibly long over this next moment together just of silence I'm just going to ask you to tell God that resist the temptation to feel guilt resist the temptation to feel ashamed just open up your spirit to the warm embrace that he already offers let's enter in just to a moment of silence Thank you.
prophet Isaiah told God that he finds his delight in God. Father, today, that's our prayer. That's our cry. It's the first step in understanding what real life is all about. And Father, today I pray for those who are in here, whether new Christians or whether seasoned Christians, whether struggling, introvert, extrovert. Father God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that we would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, wake up each day, go to bed each night saying, I'm going to find my delight in you. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to find our joy. Help us to find our peace in the midst of the storms of life. Help us to find our delight in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.